night anyway, so I'm kind of used to looking at things when everything's really dim and dark. Uh, of course, most of my work is in a factory, so uh, it's kind of bright most of the day. By day, I mean in the middle of the night. Then I get outside, and I mean, I tell you, if you really want to jumble your brain up, just work 12 hours right in the middle of the night. Uh, go from working days and then switch everything around and then work in a factory where everything's very bright that messes with your brain and thinks, you know, gets you thinking that you're in the daytime and you walk out when you've been thinking you're in the daytime, you walk out right into a night, uh, you know, and then try to drive 40 or 50 minutes with deer and, and all kinds of other stuff. I mean, I'm surprised I'm even here half the time. Uh, I almost hit my first deer the other day and uh, I got you know, into an indication with, a, with an officer, he pulled me over because he thought I was uh, dr drunk driving. I said, <laughs> I said, I got a 45 minute drive to work. I said, by the time I get to the end of this thing, I've, I've done missed so many deer and, and uh, squirrels and raccoons and opossums. I think I have adrenaline shooting out my ears. And he's like, all right, man. He's like, just watch out for the deer. And I said, I haven't seen any deer, man. I said, it's the, ra it's the stinking raccoons and the opossums that get me. You have a raccoon run right out in front of you, you know, while you're driving down the road, half asleep, and your eyes are, you know, focused all the way down there, and you see this thing just kind of, uh, you know, it'll, it'll wake you up. It'll wake you up. Not sure where I was going with all that. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't on the record because we haven't plugged this thing in, right? Um, I'm glad to be here. Like I said, I've been working really crazy hours um, trying to get some things figured out uh, my own personal life. Hopefully, I won't be uh, for too much longer. Do appreciate your prayers. Uh, do appreciate your prayers. If there ever was a time to pray for me, it would be uh, right now over the next couple months. Um, it's a very challenging environment that I've been in. It's very uh, tough spiritually and physically. There's a lot of things that kind of converge together there, and sometimes we end up in tough physical conditions. Sometimes we end up in tough spiritual conditions, you know, where it's more of a mental thing, um, something that is just kind of weighing on your heart. And sometimes those two conditions get combined together. And it is very important uh, to, if you are part of a local church, to kind of be aware of, to some degree, uh, as much as you can, what's going on in the lives of other people. Because if you aren't aware, you're not going to care or uh, pray like you should. I believe that there are ways you should pray. And there are ways that you should pray that are contingent upon things that you've learned in the body of Christ, being around other people and asking questions. Hey, man, you've been out of church for three weeks. What's going on? Uh, crazy hours at work. Uh, I, had a situation, a family emergency at the house, you know, that allows you to start focusing your prayer life to uh, get in front of God and, and intercede on, on that person's uh, behalf. So it's important uh, that, you know, you kind of are aware and not just of me. There, obviously, there's situations that we hear about all the time being a, a pastor's kid. We're always hearing about things that are happening in this person's life and that person's life. And, you know, it's just sometimes you don't even try to be in the conversation and the phone call comes and it's like you hear mom or dad across the room, oh man, oh, you know. Just something happened, and it's at that time that we are we are supposed to be apt to pray. And uh, I'm thankful for. With, with that said, I'm thankful for all the people that have prayed for me. People that have prayed, Angel, while he's out driving around, that guy doesn't pay attention at all, and just keep the squirrels and the raccoons and opossums off. Believe me, somebody has heard your prayers over the last several months. Um, I pray that uh, that he would have an easy time around the crazy people he's stuck working with. And I, you know, I. I haven't been in a factory for very long. Some of you all have been in those types of environments for, for years and years and decades. And uh, that, I understand a little bit more about how challenging it is to try to work around people that have no care about God. They don't want to be any, anything related to remotely being spiritual. Uh, they want to live their lives. They want to live however they want to live. 
And you got to try to be a light and example and a witness to those people without them driving you nuts or without them getting under your skin and without them just, because believe me, they will try to wear you out. They know, they, 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 some of those guys have been so trained that when they see somebody with any religious background whatsoever come into the situation, they know exactly how to trigger them. They know exactly how to just start poking fun at this and that. And they'll maybe learn a little bit about you just so they can go home and start researching, you know, how you're a false religion and all that other nonsense. So that way they can just start making jokes at you. And it's like, you know, bro, I only got two hours hours of breaks and lunches here and you're going to spend an hour and a half of that going on about you know rambling about how this is a false religion and you know why I believe that now I don't believe it anymore it's it's a good environment to learn I'm glad that I'm in it right now it's it's taught me some things it's opened my eyes to what other people have to go through for years and years and years and years and it's helped me as a Christian to get a little bit tougher uh, to it's strengthened me it's it's also provided some opportunities to witness to people there was one guy um, yeah, as we're all turning to Second Kings chapter number six, uh, uh, usually, you know, when me and Travis preach together, which happens a couple of times a, uh, a month, we'll preach at the uh, the jails, and I often find myself on the the end of all the preachers, and so very often time is the case I am making summaries or trying as best as I can to summarize. Uh, multiple other preachers, and, and then I have my own outline in some cases that I will either use or combine together. And usually, you know, depending on if I know that somebody's lost in the, in the crowd, because we try to actively ask people if they're lost or saved, um, that gets tailored and it can get refined and, and tweaked. And so I'm used to preaching with Travis quite frequently, and he, you know, right before. Uh, we got out there. He said, "Well, brother, you got." He's like, "You, you go plan on going with your own outline, or you, you know, you gotta take some notes." <laughs> And I started taking some notes, and he goes off and starts talking about the accent. I said, man, I said, I, I said, I don't have to take notes. Travis has already taken the notes for me. He'd just keep going, keep on preaching that, man, and I don't even have to get up and preach. So uh, 2 Kings chapter number 6, we find ourselves here uh, talking about one of the miracles of the prophet Elisha, uh, as was apparently just preached over at Cornerstone uh, by a preacher very likely way more competent than me. Um, <clears throat> we're going to go ahead and preach it here. And uh, before we do that, we'll pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the day. Thank you for the church that we have here, Lord. I pray that you would be with your words. Um, Lord, I thank you for preserving this book that we have in front of us. Uh, so we have the ability today to read it. Um, Lord, many, many civilizations and many uh, cultures don't have the Bible in front of them today. Lord, they may have had it. Uh, in the past, and, and their, uh, their forefathers mishandled it, and you took it away from them. You, uh, you pulled it out of their country, and uh, Lord moved it somewhere else. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we have it here, and we have the access to be able to both read it and get in uh, public settings and, and preach and teach it. Uh, Lord, and we pray that this, uh, this uh, message today, these seven verses, would be a help to somebody in here today. Thank you for everything you've done, uh, Lord, here at this church. Thank you for uh, all that you're going to do. In the future, we do pray for uh, those that are traveling uh, to the revival uh, down in Jacksonville that you keep all of them safe. And that, that would be a time of refreshing and help uh, to, uh, as I'm sure there are many ministers and, and preachers and teachers who are going there who are in, uh, in need of uh, some spiritual help, Lord. They're, they're in phys- uh, need of physical help. They've uh, been dealing with all the things that the world has thrown uh, at them over the last several years, and many of them are worn down. And I just pray that you would be a help to them uh, down there this week. And uh, also, again, for the church here, uh, we, many of us can end up in the same situation. 
uh, as we find this axe head. And we just pray that you would give us uh, some help out of your word today. Help us to get to the next day. Help us to get things uh, taken care of in our own lives. So that way we can be a use to you if and when you ever choose to pick us up and use us uh, to cut, it, cut something down for your work. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> and the Bible says... In 2 Kings chapter number 6, in verse 1, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, <clears throat> and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. Now I have this kind of broken up into three different sections, and then the third section is where most of the, the bulk of the message is going to be. There's some comments I want to make here in the first three sections. Uh, that I think are important. You could, you could easily preach uh, three separate messages on, on each one of these sets of verses, but the first two verses here uh, is really highlighting the proactivity of the people. And that, this is something that is, uh, honestly, it's rather rare in the Bible. It's rather rare in really everywhere, uh, where things are not, kind of flip-flopped around, and it's not so much the man of God saying, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this, it's the people going to the man of God and saying, look, we see a pro we're proactively seeing a problem here. There's, there's a situation here where we are, this is a good situation to be in. We're growing. We have, we have uh, uh, people that are coming in where our numbers are improving, but we don't have enough space where we're currently at. We need to find a different place. And it seems like to me that they already had figured out a place. The Bible says, let us, uh, let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan and take thence. Uh, every man a beam, and let us make us a place there. So somebody has done spied out the land of Jordan, and right near the Jordan River, they said, hey, we found a place that's you know bigger and, and wider and got more land. And as Daniel Boone said, Elberum, 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 shouted Daniel Boone, let's go over there and do that. And there, I do not see a problem with this at all. I don't see a problem with anybody saying, you know what? I would like to do a little bit more than what I'm doing. I would like to see my church do a little bit more. I'd like to be a part of my church doing more. And you go to the past. You realize how weird it would probably be for most pastors for, for them to constantly have people in the church coming and saying, I would like to do more. I would like to do more. I would like to do better. I would like to be a part of helping this building, this, this work, get bigger. And I've seen this over here. Hey, even he shoots you down. The preacher here said, go ahead. How many times did he probably say, no, that's actually a terrible idea? <laughs> you know, somebody comes, oh, Lord, why should we need to do this? No, actually, that's a terrible idea. I'm sure that happened quite a bit, just like any church. But there is something to be said for these people that they were looking at the situation around them and not just depending on the man of God to do all the work for them mentally. The Lord gave them brains just like the Lord. Here's the problem that Moses had. I wish they would all do that. I wish they would all prophesy. I wish they would all be like me. Why do I got to be the only body trying to get a hold of God? You know what God was like? Well, you know, I really wish that all these people would just want to be as close to me as Moses was. But what do the people want? They want Moses. They want a king. They want this person. They want that. There's always... Here's a problem, and I understand you know, there is hierarchy in the church and things like that, but as far as your relationship with God, you ought to be as close to God as possible and have very few people in between you and God. There are people that God will set in your life, but you personally need to be close to God because God will show you things personally and on an individual level that you need to do. 
Just like the Lord apparently showed one of those prophets, or maybe the group of them together, they were sitting there talking at, at the, uh, the root beer stand, and they, A&W root beer stand, or one of the really good ones, and they said, you know, this place is really getting kind of cramped. And Elijah hadn't said, or Elisha hadn't said anything yet. And they said, why don't we go talk to him? Why don't we go see if he's got any idea? Why don't we go see if he's fine with it? Hey, we, we have the ability. Apparently, there were enough people there that knew how to process and, and make lumber and build. I mean, we know about the children of Israel. They were always building something, it seems, either good or bad. They were always building something. And they said, let's go talk to the man of God and see if he is fine with us doing this because we see a problem. Man, church, that's the right, that is the right mindset for every person in here to have. Not that you're going and looking for problems to to bring to him, but that you're saying for the growth of the ministry, for the growth of this local work, let's go see if what we what we what has been put in front of our eyes is something that we can get done. I like the idea of the building back there. I drove past the sign today too. I saw the, the yard sign. The first thing I walked in here is how many other people saw that and went and talked to him about it. Perfect example. If he shoots it down and says, hey, I've been talking to Jerry, we ain't got any money in the bank. Okay, well there's that. But there's, there ought to be a mindset where you got five or ten people. That should be encouraging to him, I'd imagine, when he's got a, a vision to build on the back of this thing, and that's an option for a mission house down the road or this house or that house, or maybe we, the Lord blesses we tear the thing down and you know, add a hundred-foot building to the back. I don't know. But there's nothing wrong with you coming and saying, hey, look, I think this thing right here could be a help to this ministry. And that's what we have here. We have people that are wanting to be a part of, and they're, want, they're wanting to be a part of what Elijah's doing, Elisha's doing. And that's a good thing. Uh, the, this is a physical situation. You notice here that uh, there is complete involvement. Okay, how, this is how we know it's not a Baptist church. Uh, it says, let us go. It, it didn't say, Elijah, you know, you, you need to go in, uh, to Jordan and take you a bunch of beams. Uh, it said, let us go and take thence every man a beam. Now, the typical church these days, you know, it's like, hey, we all got this great idea. Now, the 5 to 10% of the people that's doing it, you know, I want, we want them to go to Jordan and do a bunch of lumberjacking for a couple of years. And then uh, when it's built, let us know. You know, give us a call, right? It says, every man a beam. And Christian, tonight, I would have you to know that in this work or whatever work you end up in, there is a beam for you individually to cut. There is something, maybe a big beam, it may be a small beam, it may be uh, the, side, the, the wooden siding on the side, it may be one of the main things that hold everything together, but there is something that you have the ability to add to the building that God would have to be built. <coughs> and, he say, and he answered in verse 2, go ye. All right, so that's the first part. Proactivity of the people. Nothing wrong with a proactive church, it's... A sign of a very good, strong church is, is people are proactively looking individually for how can I improve my personal life, my personal walk, and then as a result of that improvement, how can I bring that into the church? Because it, it, will, it will help people in here when you are trying to do what you can do in your own life, trying to get the things fixed in your own life, trying to, trying to have the building blocks in place that adds to this local assembly. Number two, uh, we start in verse 3, and one said, "One okay, so now we've gone from let us go to now, and one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So now we have the presence of the preacher. We go from the proactivity of the people to the presence of the preacher, and 
I, I will ha- have you to notice here that it goes from they to one. And it goes from they in the physical sense. There's a physical building that we're going to build. And then as far as who's concerned about the spiritual side of this equation involving the man of God, it says there's only one. And yes, it is very important to care about the physical things of the Lord that the Lord would have you to do. Your job, uh, you know, mowing the church grass, doing all the you know, kinds of things like that. But don't forsake the spiritual aspects, the spiritual things that God would want you to do. Don't, don't forsake that and just think it's okay. Well, I'm just doing this work over here for the Lord. I'm doing you know, this. Don't let that part be forsaken. There's nothing wrong with you going, trying to get the man of God involved. Why? You think about all the situations in the Bible where the man of God was involved and there was a big problem that popped up and there was a solution because the man of God was involved. Sometimes the problem uh, was created and the person who created the problem didn't want the man of God to be there and he popped up. I think of David. He did not want the man of God to walk in and point the finger at him. Wouldn't want to be in his shoes either. Think of how many kings, how many kings of Israel, how many kings of Judah, where they did something and somebody, think of Phineas. The Bible mentions him, not only does he mention him uh, in the actual story, I believe it's in uh, Exodus, but also you get the Deuteronomy. It says the, the, the man of God, Phineas, it singles him out. As he showed up in the situation, he executed judgment he solved the problem, and how many thousands of people were saved because Phineas walked in, and the Lord came down on him, and he said, if I don't do this, who else is going to do it? And I, I ain't got time to ask. And he solved the question. Wasn't good for the two people who he, he ran through with a spear. All the other people around, I can't believe he did. Okay, well, you're living today because he did. So there's nothing wrong with getting the man of God involved in the situation, in advance, because many situations that are wrong, you won't get yourself involved in if you get the man of God, his opinion on the matter, and then there's nothing wrong with getting him on site. There have been many cases where there have been preachers in my life, most notably my dad, just because I was raised in his house, and there's been plenty of situations to the contrary where I didn't listen to advice and ended up in places I didn't want to be. But there have been many times, and it's... it's Good experiences, you need both, okay? You'll try to avoid this type of experience, but you're going to get it one way or the other because we're not at the knowledge level of God, and learning sometimes involves you making some bad decisions and having the fun trip to get out of those uh, places where you end up. There have been many places where Dad and other preachers have been on site, and, you know, it was like, oh, this was a great idea, and then, you know, I'm actually there looking at what you're trying to do, and say, you know, this is a pretty dumb idea. Or you're not doing what I thought you were going to do the way I, that you should be doing it. And it's just good to have somebody with spiritual eyes and a spiritual mind at a higher level than you are looking at your situation often. There's nothing wrong with asking advice. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I'm getting ready to make XYZ big decision. Uh, you know, uh, what do you think about this? And then not just the one time, one off, I've got the preacher's approval. But while the thing is unfolding... I'm going to start at, hey, this situation turned into this, now what? See, most of the time we run into problems because we make the first decision, maybe that's the right decision, but there's 28 whys along the way to get to where you're actually supposed to go, and you only care about getting the approval here because you already know the other 75 choices you're going to make along the way. It's important, you know, if you're going to involve the preacher like they did here, that one guy, you know what, 
would you mind showing up with us and just kind of being there? Because you're ultimately going to be part of this equation when we get this building built, and we want to make sure that we're also taking care of you, making sure that we're not doing anything to just, you know, put all the landscape in and the building's too small or, or forget about this or forget about that. You know, you're, you're, you're at a higher level of God than we are, and, and we're, why don't we just involve you and see what you have to say? And so they did, and you know what? I'm sure there were many cases when people asked him, hey, would you go with us? And he's like, no, actually, you know, you need to go do this on your own. But in this situation, he says, I will go. So we get to verse 4. We get to verse 4, and this is the problem of the person. So we go from the proactivity of the people, presence of the preacher. Now we're at the individual level problem of this individual person. We're going to spend the next few minutes here. We'll be done. As they say, get back to the barn. And the Bible says, but as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And... I don't know about you, but every time I read this, I, I read and I see myself in there and it's like, yeah, you know, buddy, you're borrowed too. Sometimes you lose, sometimes you lose your head, sometimes you lose this or you lose that. And it's like, God, I am borrowed and what, what you have allowed, what you're working with here, what you've given uh, for me is yours and I just let part of what is yours fly off into this area, this deep area over here, and I don't know where, where it's at or how in the world we're going to get it back. Have you ever ended up there in any part of your life where it's like I just completely lost my head? Every, where, the situation I'm in, uh, you know, it's, it's like I was just doing this work. I was really focused on this thing and then realized that part of what I'm supposed to be doing is no longer. Part of what God would have for me is, is just gone. The joy is gone. The happiness is gone. The peace is gone. Something that is a critical part of my Christian walk is no longer there anymore. Something that is integral into each individual cut. It's something that allows, you know, the whole axe unit is something that has got to be fine-tuned and it's got to be put together right. Uh, like what Brother Travis said, there's a whole process. I mean, from the forging, the actual axe handle, the fact whether it's forged, whether it's not forged, the quality of the steel, the finding of the steel all the way out in the pits, so all those different things to so the selecting of the right wood, popping it on the right way, splitting the, you know, the, splitting it out, putting the right number of pits, all those 58,000 steps that have to happen for an axe head to go from a 20 $25 axe to a $500 or $600 Hoffman axe that will split wood over and over and over and over thousands and hundreds of thousands of times compared to some junky Fisker's axe, which will break in a very short order and wear you out in the process. So it was borrowed. You realize that you are borrowed? Everything you have, you, you, are, you are a tool, you are a vessel, you are an axe. The Bible says that the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Who was that? John the Baptist. God's like, you're my axe, man. <laughs> you're my axe. You're gonna, I'm going to use you to what? chop some roots out. Chop some roots out. And God picks you up. You know, a lot of times we like to blame, well, we blame the owner of the axe, right? Well, th this axe showed up in, you know, the condition. I, and, and it wore me out, and I, it wasn't as sharp as, listen, Every time that I did work and I borrowed somebody else's tools, it was my responsibility to make sure the tool was in working order when I started my work. If I borrowed a chainsaw from somebody and it had just been used for three and a half hours chopping white oak, 
it was my responsibility to either replace the chain or to go get a sharpener and make sure that the oil and everything was there. So when I started my work, the chain didn't go fly off and hit me in the face. So God gives you a life and he has, and you may say, oh, I have this problem, that problem. Okay, well, I got a question. Are you starting, have you identified the problems in your life that are preventing you from being used like God would have you to be used? I was at Adam Gray's house, Adam and Maria Gray. They come here uh, usually when we have revivals. Me and Cassandra, you know, they own business. We own business. So we go over there quite frequently. And it just so happened that I invited myself, last revival we had with Brother Pilkington, I invited myself there. Uh, unbeknownst to me, he just said, yeah, I'm going to be splitting wood someday. And I invited myself that day. So I showed up, and he's getting ready to do something. I'm like, why, why did we come? What, what are we doing? Are we going to the Air Force Museum? Are we doing that? She's like, no, I'm splitting wood with an axe. <laughs> So I volunteered myself to split with an axe for four or five hours. That axe had one little ding in it this way. One, just one. I mean, everything else is pretty straight. One little ding. Come to find out he was hitting something. He hit a, he hit a nail, something an axe is not supposed to be swung into. Every time I hit a piece of wood, it didn't matter how straight I had the axe, every time I hit the wood, it would fling it this way because of that one little nick. You realize that one little nick, how much it wore me out? Just a small little nick. Ironically, at the same time that I was out killing myself in his front yard, wearing myself out on this axe, he had a customer. He's a professional knife maker, master knife maker. He had a customer send him a knife that needed to be resharpened. So he gets this knife and the blades. Same exact problem as the axe. Blades all dinged up, bent up, and he's sitting there, you know, showing me. I mean, he's got... Guy's got incredible skills when it comes to sharpening knives and creating, you know, the different bends in the blade and, you know, all the different angles and things like that. And he just sat there and he took a staghorn and he just started beating it against the staghorn, something a knife is not supposed to be. And what did he do? He chipped the edge off. He was intentionally beating it against something it wasn't designed to be beat against to chip that edge off to see, to try to reproduce what the guy was doing out in the field. You know what he said? Oh, you were, you were smacking it against something you weren't supposed to smack it against. Why? Because I just re reproduced it here. I'm the one who makes the knife. I got all the tools to figure out how you did what you did out here. I can take a piece of steel and smack the knife up and produce the exact same thing if you smacked it against a piece of steel over here. And he said, you know what? I made the blade a little bit too thin. We're going to have to change the angle of the blade a little bit because this guy's using it on something over here. But more importantly, I'm going to have to show him how to maintain the knife. See, because when you start wearing that axe, when you start using that axe, you can start out really, really sharp, like this guy's axe probably did, and you get a couple strokes in, a couple hundred strokes in, thousand strokes in. At some point, he was telling me a story. He said, I remember there was an axe competition where a guy was cutting an axe or cutting a log, and he had a younger guy. It was an older guy and a younger guy, and the older guy ended up winning. And the younger guy went to con uh, congratulate him and said, good job. He's like, man, what, what was your secret? He said, you know, I was noticing. I was just kind of chuckling while you were swinging. He's like, you just went on and on and on and on, and you never stopped. And people were saying, man, this guy's just killing it over here. He's like, and you notice how I stopped every 20, 30 minutes and took out my file and just zip, 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 zip. He's like, that's why I won. Because I spent just a little bit more time maintaining my axe and getting all those little nicks. Anytime I felt... Anytime I felt Christian, anytime I felt the Spirit telling you this is something that's wrong in your life and it's just a little thing, still small voice, just a little thing, you better, it, it would make sense to pause there and take out that file and say, God, where do you want me to file it down? Why? If you don't, you wear yourself out. You wear yourself out, you know what happens long enough? You wear yourself out, but that axe 
that axe can only take so much of that. You swing against the wrong thing, granted, you're swinging against trees. There's a lot of people that take their axes and they go swing against rocks and the concrete out there in the parking lot. A lot of guys at my work do that. They got all the potential in the world, man. They got all, some of those guys, the minds, the, you know, just how quick they are, how witty they are, but if they'll use their mind, they'll use their body for everything wrong. They're just beating it out there, smashing it against the, the, the street, smashing it against rebar. If only they would just get that axe where it's supposed to be, get it into the right hands, take care of it. Man, it would be such a useful tool. We end up in the same place there. You swing it. Man, that's what happens in church. That's what happens with pastors, preachers, teachers, Christians. You're in church 10, 15 years, and you're swinging that axe, but you never bothered to spend the 15 seconds a day to maintain, get closer to God. God, I need, I got this problem. This thing is starting to wear me out. It's an indicator. I'm starting to get wore out over here. Is it an indicator that there's something that's not as sharp, sharp as it needs to be? Yes, the Bible is a two-edged sword. you got to sharpen. It doesn't, you think that God just comes down and he hands you a perfectly sharp sword? He does. It's your job to make sure you spend the time taking care of it, making sure it's fresh, making sure you remember, making sure you memorize, making sure that the issues that you're dealing with, the things you're fighting against, you've done sharpen that blade to be able to deal with the things that you're fighting. You sharpen an axe differently than you sharpen a knife, different purposes. And so he, he hands me this knife after it was all done, and he's sitting there just shaving off. I've never actually seen that done. I've seen people, you know, try it. You know, it's like they, they almost cut some of their skin off at the same time. He just sat there, man. I mean, he shaved his whole arm clean. He's like, all good to go. What happened? He took the knife that was used improperly. He got it sharpened. He got that knife sent back to his owner with instructions on how to take care of it. Hope, he said, hopefully that guy won't use it the way he was using it before he won't break it again, and he'll be able to use it for what he wanted to use it for for as long as time occurs until he buys another knife from me. <laughs> and I see in that story that God is just, man, he'll, he'll, he'll pick you up. And if you are not sharp, if you don't want to be sharp, if you don't want to let him sharpen you, if you don't want to let him use other people to sharpen you, iron sharpens iron. So now that verse makes sense more when you think of it in this situation. A guy didn't bother to pick up another piece of iron to sharpen his iron. Sometimes we're like that. Lord, I'll let you sharpen me to sharpen me with this person and not that person. Sharpen me with this experience and not this experience. The Lord's like, I'll sharpen you with whatever I want. Or you could just beat yourself against this tree over here or this rock or this nail, and then when you're done wore out and your head's flown off, because you wore out the connection, you loosened everything up because you just sat there thinking you were doing something and not a single tree has fallen. <laughs> not a single piece of bark has been stripped off. Then maybe you'll come to me like that one did. I kind of think it was the same one who asked the preacher to show up in the first place. It says one and then it says one. I kind of think that's the same guy. And he comes and said, the last master for it was borrowed. Where, where's the place, man? Where's the place? Cuts down a stick. Kind of get the situation there that there was a stick, there was a tree cut down a long time ago to solve all of our problems in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that was, that was the, the representation there of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the only solution to this type of a problem where you end up in a place, a hard place or a difficult place. Or maybe you're going to be there. Maybe you just sharpen your, maybe you just sharpen your axe in the last couple of revivals. And you could be in a place like this in two, three, four, five, six years. 
hopefully you take care of the axe a little bit better and it's 10 or 15 years before you go through this type of situation. Hopefully you never have to go through this type of situation as a Christian where you lose your axe head. But if you do lose your axe head and you lose it in a deep place and you can't see it and, and you realize it was borrowed and it wasn't yours to begin with, there's nothing wrong with getting a hold of God and saying, God, I've done lost my axe head. And be honest with him because he knows nothing's getting done down there until you come ask him and, Lord, can you, can you help me find it? It says he cut down a stick, threw it in, and the iron did swim. And sometimes you, have, you need a supernatural solution to your problem. You found yourself in a place where it is, it is impossible to get out of. Many people in the jail, they're there. They're in, they think it's, an, it's not an impossible situation. None of these situations are ever impossible. The devil's just really good about trying to make situations that are possible with God, impossible for us, and therefore impossible with God. And I like the fact that this guy here, in closing, I like the fact that knowing that when he approached the man of God, he was asking him to do something that was impossible. There's my, pro- there, there's my axe head. It's in there somewhere. I can't find it. I'm not going to ask anybody else because the situation, as far as I'm concerned, is impossible. So he goes to the man of God who just happened to be there because somebody asked him to be there. And that man of God's like, sure. Show me the place. Shows him the place, throws a stick in the iron, swims. It's almost like that guy was expecting something miraculous to happen when he went to the man of God. It's almost like he had the right mindset. Listen, I know that I have faith that you can do something, which is why we invited you out here and wanted you here, because you got power that we ain't got. And man, if you get, if you get the right people around you, the right people that have God all over, man, if you try to find them, try to find them, get as many of them around you as you can, you'd be surprised what miraculous things you will see that God will do for you and he'll do for other people in the situations God pulls you out of, man, the mental places, the dark places that God will pull you out of sometimes. And it's just like he just reattaches it and just puts everything right back together right in front of you and then hands it back to you and says, all right, well, keep going. <laughs> There's a tree over there. Get back to work. And eventually it says that goes on to the next story. They built the place. They stayed there. And Elijah went on to bigger and better things. And that's all we know about that guy is that he got his axe head back and he was able to give it back to the guy who borrowed it and get the work done that he needed to get done. So, Christian tonight, hopefully this was a help to you. If you've uh, been in a place where you lost your axe head, maybe you've been in a place where you feel like you're getting wore out because your axe head is getting smacked against things it's not supposed to, or maybe you feel like you need sharpened, um, that's why the church is here. That's why the Bible's here. That's why prayer exists, so you can get what you need.